Millennials are achieving freedom with a new definition of success. Our careers, relationships, education, and even our politics look nothing like our parents. We are repapering the roadmap towards our personal goals and embracing what moves us along the way. We are adopting what works and throwing out the rest. We are tired, but not worn in our quest to get there. I'm Heather Bonaparte. I'm Douglas Bonaparte, and welcome to We Should Be Sleeping. Each week, Douglas and I explore the news and topics that keep us awake. We'll also invite guests to share the way they've done it differently to achieve a new brand of success that's authentic, unconventional, and definitive of our generation. Not ready for bed? Tune in, because neither are we. Learn more and subscribe today at WeShouldBeSleeping.com. Hello, welcome back to We Should Be Sleeping. I'm Heather, joined here tonight by my husband and co-host, Douglas. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us. What do you say we get right to it? Go for it. So I caught Doug this week getting swept away once again by another brand. One pair of comfortable joggers turned into, I think, a dozen within a couple months. The drawer could not be shut. Sounds like a lot. One would say, okay, so that's fine. Whatever, he found something he really liked and he went for it. No, this pattern has been going on with Doug his entire life. This is systemic behavior. I'm going to let him explain a little bit more. Take us back to your childhood, Douglas. No, I'm not going to do that, but I am going to tell you this. I'm brand loyal. And to me, that's like, once I get this idea in my head of what I like, particularly with clothing, if I like it, I'm going to do that at scale. At scale? At scale. I'm going to flood the closet, flood the drawers with this thing. And let me just give you an idea of what I mean. So back in high school, It was Ralph Lauren horizontal stripe polos with Abercrombie shorts. Who could forget those cargo shorts? I remember the photos. God. In college, it got morphed, if not upgraded, into Lacoste shirts. Same shorts, just different top. Always in pastels, right? I'm a Florida man. Always in pastels. And I remember because Doug and I met back in college and all of my friends knew my new boyfriend as, oh yeah, that's the guy in the pastel polo shirts. And then it didn't stop there either. When we moved to New York, it also infiltrated my dress shirts, suits, ties, shoes. All the same brands, same styles. The guy had like 40 ties and they all looked exactly the same with subtle differences. There'd be like a light blue with a rabbit and then a dark blue with a compact disc. There were subtle differences, but it was really just went beyond brand loyal. To me, this was a little more than that. It was kind of more like OCD because anytime I would try and introduce even somewhat of a new style, I could sense this extreme discomfort. So before his most recent obsession with joggers and athleisure and this one brand in particular began, he was very resistant to athleisure. He's like, I have sweatpants. I don't know what you're talking about. But then suddenly I bought him one pair and he had seen the light and one thing led to another and this OCD-like behavior just came raging back. So like, what is it? Is it OCD? Are you just brand loyal? What's the deal? Why is it always like this? I think it's both of them. I'm a creature of habit and comfort. And sometimes the line between these two things gets blurred beyond recognition. And there's just this element of brand loyalty that coincides with the safety of knowing that you look good. And looking good means feeling confident And I just want to feel confident. So when you introduce some kind of new style or item, it challenges that. And I'm adverse to that. I just want to be comfortable. So when you say comfortable, 
do you mean physically comfortable, like it fits and you like the way it feels? Or to me, when you're saying comfortable like this, you really mean you feel secure and you feel emotionally comfortable. (laughs) Well, yeah, preferably both. I hope the clothes I'm wearing feel comfortable, but a lot of it comes down to psychologically feeling comfortable. So do you think that that's why the Midtown uniform exists? Do those guys just need to feel confident knowing that they all look the same? Who, Brad, Chad, and Tad? So for those who don't know what the Midtown uniform is, it's basically what finance bros wear in New York City or your financial centers of the world. And, and they'll wear a Patagonia vest and they're buttoned down, some drivers and some respectable pants. Anyways, I think that's more fitting in and not necessarily finding a style that's comfortable. but. I could be wrong, and I take your point. Fitting in makes people feel comfortable. So there's definitely parallels there. So there's parallels, but it's different. You're not that, is what you're saying. (laughs) I hope not. So your love of Lululemon is nothing like that. Yeah. (laughs) I can't blame you. The pants are really comfortable. Look, it's sleek. I should be sleeping fine, but you know what? I'm browsing Lululemon online. You're just going to have to deal with it. He's willing to own it, and I accept that. I appreciate that. Moving on. Speaking of discomfort, I had a fun little joke I played on Doug this week. So our lives are kind of this constant battle of me fighting for your attention from Twitter. Yeah, more time you spend there, the harder it is to pull away. I mean, let me explain to all of you listeners just how tethered Douglas is to his phone and particularly Twitter because it's not anything else. He'll tell you that it's work. It's not work. It's Twitter. It's work. The neighbors know Douglas as the guy walking down the street pushing the stroller with the phone in front of his face. It's true. I like to make this joke because it kind of grinds his gears and it gets under his skin, but it's also kind of this tension between me feeling like he spends too much time doing it. I make this joke about him being an influencer because he has a fair amount of followers. So I noticed that he was at like 39.9 thousand followers. And he was about to hit this milestone in his followers. Not a milestone. but It is a milestone. So I went to Amazon and I ordered a bunch of balloons and I thought, you know what? Great. You want to be an influencer? Be an influencer. I'm going to make you a balloon arch. Deal with it. So I knew it would bother him. I did it anyway. You can't play the game, but not play it. That's my whole point. You can't say, oh, it doesn't matter. I don't care. None of this is important to me. Oh, it's important to you. So you might as well celebrate it, own it, live your best influencer life. So the other day when as soon as Doug hit 40,000 followers, I think within an hour, I was in the basement pumping up balloons with our older daughter and we built this beautiful amateur balloon arch, brought it out to the back of our house and we filmed Doug and his reaction to it. You straight up trolled me and posted the video online. It was super embarrassing to me. And I hope you enjoyed yourself. I really did. It gave us something to do. I had a good laugh. And also my point is this, if you're going to hold yourself out as this pseudo internet fantasy public figure. (laughs) This is literally nerd Twitter. No one is. Internet fantasy public figure. You have to accept everything from trolls to your wife embarrassing you with a balloon arch. This comes with the territory. Accept it. We all had fun. All right. Speaking of inflatables. Speaking of inflatables. Hey, now, we're going to do something we've done a few times on the show before. We've done Canceled, where we dive into canceled culture, and we're going to do Kids Edition now. So I'll kick it off. We're going to cancel shared play spaces. 
So what is a shared space real quick? These are your my gyms, your soft plays. Basically, if the place has a ball pit in it, it is a shared play space. And who's cleaning all of those balls right now? Or even grosser, a foam pit. All they are are a bunch of sponges in a pit. They are literally absorbing filth. Truly absorbing filth. Who's going to clean all the balls? Who's cleaning the sponges? No one. There's no way to keep up here. And I'll never think of these places the same ever again if I'd just be looking around. Sorry, all the my gyms out there, but there's no amount of bleach, I think, that's going to clean up. Bleach. Remember those you see on TV? Certainly not here in the suburbs, maybe in the major cities, you see people cleaning and disinfecting with those giant spray things. Like I find like it fertilizer spray, like <laughs> you know what I'm talking? fertilizer yes, spray. Can. You know exactly what I'm talking about. They show people cleaning like the buses and the subway systems with this yeah. aerosol spray. What's your like, point? There's no way that every my gym is going to own one of those and be spraying them in between birthday parties. It's not going to happen. Those places are filthy. They're going to continue to be filthy. They're canceled. All right. Well, how about something related to that? Related, but very different. And one of my pet peeves, shared snack bowls. Usually at birthday parties, they bring- The king size bag. The king size bag. veggie chips. Yeah. Veggie sticks or even worse, the pirate's booty and with all the cheesy fingers. Cheese powder. And a giant bowl and they just dump it. And they let all the kids keep sticking their grimy hands. For the record, I am a thoughtful parent. I use a little cup and I scoop onto my kid's plate every time because I'm considerate. But most people are not as considerate as me, so it's pretty disgusting. Yeah, they got their kid fresh out of the ball pit sticking their hands oh, into the, yeah. we into watch the pirate's it. booty. We watch it happen. So I think after this, we're welcoming back individual bags of snacks. Agreed. The shared snack bowl is definitely canceled. And for the last thing we're canceling, we actually disagreed on this one. Heather... Why don't you tell them what you canceled here? Colds are canceled. What do you mean? I'm not making light of sickness. Okay, let's be clear. This is all very serious what's going on. Obviously, as we've touched on before, health and physical and mental wellness are at the utmost of importance. So I'm not making light of people getting sick. There's my disclaimer, okay? Got it. But the net effect of the kids being out of school is that there's a lot less communicable illnesses going around our house. Even just in 2019, I think back to last year when we just had Ruby, we were at an all-time high in terms of our nerves about bringing illnesses into the house. I think Hazel had strep twice, norovirus, the flu, a couple ear infections. We both had the stomach bug more than once. That was just last year. And since we've been home quarantining during this time, knock on wood, there's been no other viruses or illnesses coming through our house. Yeah, they've been pretty healthy for like 10 weeks Because they're not at school and they're not going to birthday parties and having playdates. My point being, colds are canceled because put COVID aside, when things begin to reopen, whether that's your private childcare or public schools, the cleaning requirements that we're already seeing, I mean, I'm already getting the emails of what's going to be required when we return and what will be expected. It's so much more stringent. Everything from less shared toys to less commingling between classrooms. Less shared play spaces. Obviously more distance between the kids. And I don't think a lot of people are going to get away with sending their kids with a 99.9 fever to school anymore. I think the judgment. That jig is up. Right now, I believe the colds are canceled. I guess I won't be able to punch my punch card for how many times I took my kid to the doctor Yeah, we, fall. We always joked. I mean, there was a period of time. I think we were there every week for like three months straight. And it was like, 
11 visits, get the 12th for free. That never happened, unfortunately. Yeah, we never got a visit for free. All right. That's not how that works. Sorry for cutting you off there. Anyways, we tend to go from not just canceling things, but we also want to talk about things that are trending. So some good things or different things that are emerging from this environment that we're in. And while inside play places may be canceled, backyard play spaces are on the rise. We're talking bounce houses, trampolines, little roller coasters, whatever it is. All of these items, all of this backyard fun is sold out on Amazon. A water table has never been such a hot commodity, ever. For your toddler to splash around on a table with inflatable toys in it, can't make it happen. And what's interesting here is Heather and I mutually have been pretty anti some of the bigger backyard play stuff. Even a swing set. We are very anti even having a swing set. We don't want any of that crowding up our backyard, not just from a killing the grass standpoint, but also from a liability standpoint. Like I'm a lawyer. I'm not trying to have some jumbo trampoline in my backyard for a bunch of kids to be breaking their backs on. That's really it's not something I'm trying to do. But now it's get those kids outside at all costs, show them some fun. And if that means a giant liability bouncing platform, so be it. But not in our backyard. Just not ours. Okay. Video games. This one's all you. All right. (laughs) So video games. If you somehow thought this whole rise of esports and competing was just a trend, then what we're doing here right now in this stay home experiment, I got to say, it's just solidifying the fact that it's here to stay. This is literally a teenage gamer's dream come true. If you've been stuck home, you get to play video games nonstop. So Teenage Doug is very jealous, and I think competitive esports is just going to continue to grow and grow even more so now, having been at home this long. I obviously have nothing to add on that point at all. Yeah, I know. You're like The only video game you played as a kid was like Hello Kitty Island. I had the original Nintendo. You probably had like two titles. Let's get yeah, into the I, last uh, trendy me, thing. Me, no, no. You don't know. Anyway. Snake on your Nokia phone was your best video game hit. Literally. So the last one that's trending is back to those balloons. Balloon art. Balloon art is going cray cray. What do you mean? Out here in the suburbs. Let me tell you, party companies and like event planning vendors have all pivoted to setting up these elaborate balloonscapes on people's lawn. You're celebrating everything from graduations to first birthdays to 90th birthdays. I've seen a balloon arch just to try and make people happy. There's just beautiful rainbows. I mean, I saw a giant bottle of champagne balloon escape the other day just to party. I don't know. It's getting wild out there. It's really impressive and it's cool. And you know what? It's just a nice thing to do. It brings people joy. It's just a unique touch-free way to bring people a little bit of joy in their day. I'm surprised no one late at night goes out there and starts popping balloons. The masked popper? You know about the masked popper. I only know because that's something that would definitely run through your head. And I know that like teenage Doug like wishes he was that guy, basically. 100%. I'm surprised I haven't read a headline that says balloon art popped on neighbor's lawn or something like that. Not yet. They're waiting for you. The mass popper. (laughs) All right. Let's wrap up the show with kind of the big topic we always hit on. And this week it's Peloton, which has to be one of the hottest products to emerge from the COVID-19 pandemic. And even before all that's happening right now. This was somewhat of a controversial item 
And the beef was primarily around, you know, it being this sexy looking stationary bike made for particularly wealthy people. Or at least that's what the critics always said. That was like the vibes it was giving off. And all of this swelled as the company went public last August and it peaked during the holidays amid a marketing campaign about this lady coming home to her Christmas present being a Peloton bike. And I thought it arguably missed the mark, but nonetheless, here we are. It was a missed opportunity, but amidst that very public criticism, Doug, you've actually defended Peloton twice on TV and we've actually both been quoted in print defending the brand and the community. Yeah, we're like big supporters. And real quick, disclosure, this is not a giant advertisement for Peloton, but we definitely want to bring our experience of it into the segment here. Yeah, we swear they don't pay us, we pay them. (laughs) That's 100% true. Now, clearly Heather and I have always thought this was a brilliant product, but I think Heather should maybe share a little bit of her story as to how I like it really for her. Like, I like it, but Heather, you're like all in on this thing. I'm sipping the Kool-Aid. I am in. You're in the cult. I've got like hashtags. I'm in the community. I'm ingrained. You okay? follow all the instructors. Yeah, like I'm in On it. Insta. Let me give you a little brief history. We got our Peloton after we moved to the suburbs when we had left New York City. Hazel, our Like older, a year after we got here. Or yeah, so. our older daughter was about a year and a half old. She wasn't sleeping. We were trying to get used to living out here and commuting to our high pressure jobs. Like going to a gym just did not fit in anywhere in our schedule and like adapting. Well, right. I mean, and I think when you leave the New York City area, I mean, we lived in New York for almost 10 years and you walk five miles a day just living. So, And you had five gyms like around the corner. Yeah, but to go from that very active lifestyle to a very sedentary suburban lifestyle and add to that having a child who's eating for the first time and we found ourselves Having that fourth dinner, i.e. the dinner at 4.30 in the afternoon, like having her pizza with her and then Uh, eating again later. I mean, it it was just, we just found ourselves falling into a really unhealthy routine. And that was when we decided to buy the bike. It also coincided with the time that I started as we were both kind of gaining weight and getting a little unhealthy and not sleeping and stressed. I started having a lot of odd mystery symptoms, kind of autoimmune inflammatory in nature. Through investigating those, we discovered that I have a congenital heart defect that I never knew about my entire life. Surprise. And it's the kind of thing where it's okay every day. It could be okay your whole life until it's not. If you didn't know about it. You got to like find it. You got to know about it so that you you can monitor it. And if you don't, then that's how people drop dead when they're 50 years old because they didn't know that they had an underlying heart condition because it was never uncovered before. This was very terrifying to me as somebody who not only wasn't feeling well in the first place, but as somebody with a small child living in a new community with no real friends. I think psychologically it was devastating. Psychologically it was devastating. It took me to a really scary and anxiety ridden place and I felt very nervous to do anything. I became obsessed with my health. Yeah, Um, it put a cloud over you. In a really negative way. And I think that a lot of that really prevented me from committing to this bike when we first got it. So we rode it. Doug and I both got on it one time a week, maybe two times a week. But then I got pregnant again, God willing, with Ruby, our second daughter. And through the course of that pregnancy and many doctor's appointments, discussions. Something changed. Something changed within me, but it really did. The exception of a growing child. As she grew and I realized like I'm not as 
frail and at great risk that I thought I was, that my body was actually still very capable of doing a lot of things and doing anything that I needed it to do. It was capable of growing a healthy baby. I could be capable of a lot of other things. Hormones are a hell of a drug. Yeah, I'll tell you, man. I just got it in my mind that I was a different woman and I was going to commit to this bike from the second I got cleared to live a healthier, stronger life for both my kids and to get this fear of all this bad health news that I received out of my mind. It was kind of cool to see that. So this was, I think, April 2019. It was about six weeks after the birth of Ruby that I got cleared to get back on the bike. I have ridden the bike three to four times a week, every week for 52 weeks. And I just hit that milestone, I guess, last month or almost two months ago. You arguably changed your life from your use of this bike. This bike changed my life. I'm not afraid to say it. What really got me, it wasn't these big, bold proclamations really at all. It was about the little statements that were being made. When I would be exhausted and I only had 20 minutes and I'd get on a 20-minute ride at nine o'clock at night after I worked a long day with two little kids and to hear somebody say, the fact that you're even here is enough. The fact that you're giving yourself 20 minutes of time just for you. And I realized that. I really took that to heart, this notion that I could only be the best version of myself for everybody in my life, for my kids, for my husband, for my job, for anyone that knows me. I can only give them the most if I'm giving something back to myself. And that message really resonated with me. And it really is an under pinning theme with almost all the instructors. It's like, just give this commitment to yourself. Give yourself a little bit. It doesn't have to be a big, bold thing every single day. Just give yourself the love that you need and you deserve. And you know, I could I, get all choked up. I could talk about it all, all right, day. It's all changed right, my fan, life. All right, fan girl. And I've lost 30 pounds. Yeah, you look amazing. I'm very proud of you. And I mean that sincerely. And while fangirl of Peloton over here might come off as sounding cheesy, I get it. But honestly, proof's in the pudding here. She's really changed her life. Now, for me, as someone kind of looks at it as a company and having talked about it again publicly, what I learned and what I think people were really getting down on it about was that, okay, here's this really cool thing. It has a cool story. You heard Heather's. It could not survive an economic downturn. All the research said, whatever happens here, there can't be a recession that would really kind of throw off this being successful. Because it's like considered a premium branded yeah. consumer good. Even though there's great financing available, you got to pay a lot of money to have this bike and you really just need to use it. You need to get into it like you described. So what a uniquely odd situation here where there was an economic catastrophe and instead of this thing getting dealt a deadly blow, it actually increased the demand, again, for a premium branded consumer good. So why don't you share what was the stock price back in? When things were really bad, kind of the mid-March, a $20 bill could get you a share of the company and you could probably get a bike delivered to your house in a week like it took us. Now, just two to three months later, the lead time to get a bike is over two months the stock price has more than doubled and they have surpassed 1 million connected subscribers. They've gotten to a benchmark a lot quicker than they ever thought imaginable. And this is kind of a great example of what disruption does. And I view Peloton really as a disruption type product. It scrambles the conventional way of thinking 
and it produces unconventional results. That's what's happening here. That's kind of the cool part about disruption type services or goods. They produce these kind of unconventional results. Well, and I think what people are so focused on, right, because Peloton has been called a disruptor before, a disruptor of the fitness industry, but also, and I don't care how cheesy this sounds, I am willing, if this soundbite was played back to me, I will not cringe, I swear. It's about disrupting your own bad habits and it's giving people an opportunity to disrupt your own life. Somebody who works like a dog does not have an opportunity to exercise five days a week. If you've got small children, you're commuting. This has actually given opportunity to people. It has created something that wasn't there. It didn't just change fitness. It actually created fitness. It enabled fitness for people where it wasn't available for them yeah, before. Yeah, it, it made it available in your life. So are you saying instead of sleeping, you were getting on a 20-minute hit ride with who? Who do you love? I love them all. Alex Toussaint. Robin, got a shout out to my girl, Emma Lovewell. All right. Tunde. Nope, pulling the plug here. Cody. Stop. Everyone, thank you so much again for joining us here. Before Heather starts mouthing off other instructors that she stalks on Instagram. I've got them all. Hit up the website and ask us some questions. We'd love to hear from you guys. But until then, try and get some sleep. See ya. Thank you for staying up with us and checking out We Should Be Sleeping. Connect with us on social media, subscribe to the podcast, and learn more at we should be sleeping.com. We'll see you next time on We Should Be Sleeping. We should be sleeping.